following message was recorded at Faith Fellowship St. Pete in St. Petersburg, Florida. More information about Faith Fellowship can be found at faithfellowshipstpete.org. Well, good morning, church family. Um, I uh, I want to I want to highlight one of those particular announcements. Um, just lost my thing. I wanted to share with you. Um, but our so we, we're doing the uh, chosen series, and uh, if you've not, how many of you seen the chosen series? So what a blessing! Like I mean, we my my family has probably watched it several times. And uh, and so what we're doing is we started in season one last month and this month we're going to we're going to get get to episode two. Uh, so you can very quickly catch up if you if you'd like to do that. And but be careful, you might start binging very, very quickly. But it's a, it's an amazing series uh, that uh, that really kind of highlights the life ministry and miracles of Jesus. Uh, really, his interaction with his disciples gives a little ba- backdrop. Um, and it's it's a wonderful uh, night together. We have dinner, uh, watch uh, this this piece together, and then we have some Q and A time, some time to process and dialogue. Uh, our first one together last month was amazing. It's coming up next Sunday. Um, I believe we stated in the video announcements that Sunday was the deadline, but we need to know by Thursday for meals. So uh, we, uh, Jen and her team prov- provides a full-blown dinner, and it's so wonderful. So you'd want to come out and be a part of the dinner, but we need to know by Thursday if you're planning to attend so we can plan for enough food for the occasion. So uh, if you can, there are, there are uh, three-by-five cards in the seat backs in front of you. Uh, we have a digital connection card that's on our website. Um, there are a variety of ways you can call the church office. Any of those ways will work uh, in order to let us know that you're going to be there and be a part of this wonderful night that we share together. It's at 6 o'clock next Sunday night. Uh, our giving box is in the back. That's where you put your connection card uh, so that we can uh, be aware of those details. So um, d- does does the worship set speak to you? I, I mean, it seems like every time, uh, you know, Marty has a... An idea of like where you know he knows the text and kind of the nature of the the message and but then prayerfully prays for these songs and and it always it always touches me because i i'm uh, i'm already in the text i'm already excited about preaching the message and sharing this and so the songs just bring kind of a a, a deeper and a richer uh, sense of worship for me and and man i was so captured this morning by just do you know what happened that Sunday morning when Christ <laughs> broke our chains and set us free? I mean, like, have you kind of like taken that in other than Easter once a year? Like, I mean, like death was defeated. <laughs> I mean, like, hello? <laughs> That's amazing. Like what he did, like he, he was talking about this throughout his entire ministry here with uh, with Mary and Martha who were in the throes of uh, their brother Lazarus's death, confused by Jesus's tardiness, and you know he he shows up f- by from their perspective a couple days late. You know Lazarus has been in the tomb now four days, uh, maybe a few more days than that late. But he you know he comes and they're like, if you'd have been here, Lord, he wouldn't have died. You know, like they they know that Jesus is is capable of. M- wonderful things but i think they've yet to realize that that resurrection is in the resume right like they you know this is what jesus says to her 
in this state. And I love like all the statements of faith that Martha makes, Mary makes. But uh, here in, in, uh, in verse 25 of John 11, I got to say the gospel of John, I, I mean, it's the I am gospel, right? It's the, it's, the, it's the one whom he knew he was loved and he talked about love. I mean, I just love this gospel. And, and one of the I am's is this. In verse 25, Jesus says to her, well, after she said, well, he says in verse 23, he says, he said to her, your brother will rise again. And listen to this. I mean, she, she had kind of heard that I, I probably need to lay aside these meal preparation things and spend more time at Jesus' feet and under his teaching because she's, she's getting it here. She says, I know he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Man, that's something she got right from Jesus' teaching, right? And then Jesus said this. He adds this to her. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live, even though he dies. And then verse 26, he says to those that will remain until his coming, he says, and whoever lives and believes in me will never die. And then he looks at her and he says, do you believe this? And, you know, that's the question that's asked of us today, right? Like, do you believe that he's the resurrection and the life? Do you believe that he conquered sin and death? And when that grave was empty, our hearts were filled and our lives were changed and death was defeated. When, when that is our, our creed, when that is our sincere faith, perseverance is what, is what comes out of that in the lives. Anybody struggling with anything? Anybody got some tough stuff going on? Yeah. Right? Like, but in, Jesus said, in this world, you will have troubles. But take heart. I've overcome the world, John 16, 33 says. Jesus said this, too, in, in John 14, uh, verse 1. He says, um, don't let your hearts be troubled. And then this is the antidote. Believe in God. Believe also in me. And then he talks these, these gl- glorious words. He says, I'm coming back. I'm coming back for you. I'm going to prepare a place, coming back, take you to myself. And then later in that chapter, I think it's verse 26, he says, but I'm going to send you some power that you've yet to know. On the other side of the grave, 40 days, 50 days later, you're going to be clothed with power from on high. This is what is going to make you my witnesses. And you're going to have strength to spare so that you might walk out my will and word to perfection. And this is what he wants for us as the church. Like Jesus conquered the grave. We are alive because he's alive, right? And, and that's a lot of what we're talking about today. So um, that's a hard thing, isn't it? It's, it's, it's even a mystery to us. And I believe the reason for that is because we weren't made for this, Right? This is a byproduct of the fall. We live in a context of decay and brokenness and death. But here we're told in the scriptures that there'll come a day where death's sting will be abolished. And we won't even know death any longer. We will move from life to a greater sense of life. We'll be clothed in it to its full extent, we are told in 2 Corinthians 5. But we as a church have lost six family members over the last several months. Beginning with Miss Helen. 
heartbreak. Jimbo. Joe. Wayne. Earl. And most recently, our beloved Bill. who We celebrated his life on Wednesday. And guys, this, this is hard stuff. This is painful moments. This is, these are moments that cause us to, to, to wonder and grieve and struggle. And, and we're hungry for, for compassion and comfort. Is God able? Is God able? Is God good? You know, I look at, I look at Skip and Betty and I look at Colette and I look at Mike and guys, you guys are going through this in the most intimate and significant of ways, and we love you. And this is hard. You need a village to come around you to, to, to be the arms, the tangible expression of God's, you know, he's the God of all comfort. And then he says he comforts us so that we can be this comfort. And I don't know that that'll ever even be enough. And so supernaturally, his spirit abides in us for this greater work to comfort us in these moments. But it's, it makes a difference what we believe in every moment of life, but spe- very specifically in these moments, I believe. And, and it didn't stop there. I mean, Sharon lost her, her sister-in-law during this time. You know, Lisa, your family lost Johnny, you know, your, your brother-in-law during this time. Our family in the context of Mom, tell you, five days, we lost three family members. I mean, this, this has been a season unprecedented in the history of our church family. And, and that's hard. Uh, and then we're dealing with a pandemic, which has that looming concept tied very intimately to it. And so it's no wonder, as, we, as the Lord set us out on a journey through the gospel of Luke, you know... <laughs> Way, way, way back that this Sunday we fall on a passage where a widow loses her only son. And that's, that's a sad scenario for sure. Death and grief comes to all of us and it is part of the fallen world. It is not what God designed or desired and yet he comes into that brokenness and what did he do? Let's, let's just really take this in for a moment. What did he do? Life himself died in order to defeat death to bring us to life. That's our God. That's our Jesus. Like, that's amazing if you think about it. Lisette, thanks for modeling the message this morning. And go and sit with your sweet sister, because that's what we should be doing, right? So, guys, what we have to understand is that we're called to reside in the confidence, the peace, and the comfort that comes from a faith that, 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 that declares that his promises are true if they're not even in reality yet. Does that make sense? Like, he looked at Martha and he says, I am the resurrection and the life. And anyone who believes that, though he die, yet he shall live. And even those that live up until my coming, he shall never die. Guys, do you believe that? Because I promise you, when 
your expiration date comes or those loved ones around you comes, that is going to be the benchmark of your response. That's going to be what, what carries you through because our faith has to be declared in the moments of crisis, pain, and sorrow. And, and our, our authentic faith is declared in those. When we're squeezed, what's inside comes outside and that's the truth. Now, what I'm not saying is, is we should grieve, but we don't grieve like the rest of the world who has no hope. We grieve differently. And we grieve in community, right? We, we don't, it's so, man, I don't know about you guys, but man, when, when I'm hurt, whatever that comes from, don't we have a tendency to want to withdraw, isolate? It sounds like Adam and Eve in the garden. We want to hide, right? We want to cover up, and not that there's sin in it, but we just, we just, we don't want anybody to see our pain, our weakness, and man, what we're desperate for is we're, we're desperate for the hands and feet of Jesus to be. And so we need to come to community. We need to remain. That's why it says, do not, this is in Hebrews 10, 25. It says, do not neglect the gathering of the saints, especially, this is what it says, especially as the day approaches. I mean, guys, the day is approaching. <laughs> you know, we, we cannot ne- neglect the gathering together of the saints where the word is preached, where, where the word is lived and, 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 and experienced as the gifts are demonstrated. And we're all gifted differently and we all need to express those gifts in their various forms. The truth is these bodies all have an expiration date. And we're going to talk about that in a little bit. My John, my, my father-in-law put this up on his Facebook page and I thought it was appropriate for today's passage. Grief never ends, but it changes. It is a passage and not a place to stay. Grief is not a sign of weakness or the lack of faith. It is a price of love. Right? The reason we hurt is because we loved so deeply. And so we come to this passage in Luke chapter 7. Uh, this is, we're, we're, we just finished talking about a centurion that had such great faith that he looked at Jesus, understanding his authority and said, say the word and my servant will be healed. And we find out that that's exactly what happened. And because of that, there's this massive crowd that follows Jesus and where he ends up in this particular context is a day's journey away. He moves westward from Capernaum uh, to a little city called Nain. And this takes about a little over a day for and a group that size, maybe longer. And yet this, this great crowd follows him, un, unaware of where this, this path leads. And the text picks up in verse 11. This is Luke 7. 11 to 17. Soon afterwards, he, being Jesus, went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. As he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her, And said to her, do not weep. Then he came up and he touched the briar. And the bearers stood still. 
And he said, young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and he began to speak. And Jesus gave him to his mother. Fear seized them all. And they glorified God saying, a great prophet has arisen among us. And God has visited his people. And this report about him spread throughout the whole Judea and all the surrounding countrysides. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would do the glorious work that only you can do. Holy Spirit, would you speak to and through me that you would speak to hearts that are hungry and fertile for the truth of your word, but that it would be deeply planted in us so that it would come to fruition, 30, 60, 100 fold, Lord, that you would produce fruit, that it would not simply be something we know, but something we do. Lord, help us to live what we believe. Strengthen us for this purpose. Transform us by your love, your truth, your presence, your power. Lord, we want these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's wander through this text together. I hope you have your Bibles on your lap, your notes ready to write, uh, being students of the word. And uh, we'll pick up in, uh, in the beginning here, 11 and 12, and break this down. So soon afterwards, speaking of his, his time in Capernaum, he went to a town called Nain. I mentioned this is a, a day away, so this was a significant journey. Um, and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. You know, this is the thing that le- leaped off the page for me when I read that verse. It just seems like, you know, the, it's narrative, right? It's just kind of context. But it's so much more than that. Because do you think these had, people had lives and families and, and to-do lists? Do you think these people had things that they were into and doing at the time that they uh, witnessed the, the presence and the power and the teaching and the miracles of Christ? And yet all that seems to be laid aside because we're going to follow Jesus. We're going to, because priorities shift, right? When power is present, right? When, when, when things come into context and, 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 and God becomes clear, in our lives, it should shift our priorities. It should change our behavior. It should change our destination and our direction. And that's, that's the case here in First 11, right? I mean, I think sometimes we think, oh, these were people that they didn't have anything better to do, obviously. So they just, you know, kind of spent some time with Jesus. Man, I mean, like, what does it mean for you today to follow Jesus? Is it going to mean that you have to lay aside, that priorities must shift? Does it mean that, that maybe your agenda, your will, your plans might have to be submitted to his? And, and maybe there might be some glorious divine appointments that happen along the way. Because, guys, they didn't jump in a plane, a truck, a caravan. This, they walked this road with Jesus. And do you believe that along the way there might have been some, some marvelous moments? John said it this way. He said, if we had to write it all down, the the world's not big enough to contain the books. Like, we we, we got a snapshot in the Gospels. Verse 12. As he drew near with this crowd, this great crowd and his disciples to the gate of the town, behold, a man had died a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of, of his mother, and she was a widow, and a considerable crowd from the town was with her. Now, as I looked at this verse and really just prayed it through, 
it's interesting. You've got a crowd following a dead man and then you've got a crowd following life himself. That's interesting, right? Because they're about to collide, right? This crowd that is, that is convinced that Jesus is some great prophet. He's, he's a miracle worker. Uh, I'm not sure they've grasped that God is incarnate in their presence. But they're following someone that they have seen uh, has had uh, powerful uh, ability to, to, to speak and disease leaves. This is, this is the Jesus they're following. And, and out from this city comes a crowd that is following a dead man. And, a, and the living God has a crowd too. This is what I, I thought about this moment. What a major contrast of crowds, which made for a collision of compassion for the pain in name. That, that's really what's going on here is God is about to walk into the most painful moment of... I mean, because look, we have, we have nomenclature, right? For a, a, a wife that loses her husband. Or even a husband that loses his wife. We have nomenclature for children that lose their parents. We don't have any nomenclature for parents that lose their children. It's painful. It, it, it doesn't seem Right? A widow in this context would be without means. If she's older, uh, maybe not to be married again, doesn't have a kinsman redeemer, which would not be even uh, applied in this particular time in Jewish history. Um, she, would be, she would resort to begging if there wasn't family that would, would rally around her. And so that puts her in a very, very needful desperate circumstance. And this is where she's at. In a funeral procession, the relatives of the dead person would follow the body that was wrapped and carried on a kind of a stretcher, right? And then the, the, the reason for this is you can almost get the picture of, you remember Israel? We see this in Leviticus. It kind of gives the, you know, why you were not to touch dead bodies. I mean, God was protecting them from disease and these type of things. And uh, they would carry the tabernacle, right? Or excuse me, the, the, um, the Ark of the Covenant with poles because if they touched it, they could die. And it was a similar perspective. They would use a stretcher. What, what, I say stretcher because that's, it might have been called a litter, but, but we understand what a stretcher is. And then the body would be wrapped in, in, in a shroud or linen cloth and completely. And, and here, this is the scene that is leaving the city gates and heading out to a distant part in, of the city where they would bury their loved ones. And, and it's a very somber scene, right? It's a very sobering scene. And isn't that what... Have, have you ever come to the point where, you, where you've lost a loved one and it just seems like it changes our perspective on the priority of relationships, right? And, and it's so easy to say, if I had one more day, I would do it differently. And I would have treasured this and done more of that. And, and I believe that part of why those, those moments come is that is, is when, because we're, we're kind of, and why death is left is so that we are reminded of the priorities that are so precious to the Lord, which is relation, our relationship with him 
and our relationship with each other. Because how is it that we lose sight of those things and start to count other things more valuable? And it's those moments that bring the, that back into clarity. So the burial ground was usually outside the village. As the processional passed by, there would actually be, um, in Jewish context, they would have uh, mourners. These were professional grievers. Um, and it, it sounds kind of weird and obscure to our culture, but this was their herald to the town. They didn't have newspapers for obituaries. And the, so they, they would help to invoke emotion for those that are having a hard time processing their grief emotionally. But they would also call the, those to the procession of, of those that have passed. And, and so this was a procession that was building as it, as it made its way through the streets. And now is it at the city gates. And so now it's a significant crowd. And they're there filled with compassion and and care for this family. But they would cry out and draw the crowd into the procession. The family's mourning would continue for 30 days. We see that with Moses as, as the precedence for this. What made the funeral especially sad was that this young man was the only, and this is interesting, the, the Greek word here is begotten son. The only begotten son of this woman. Do you see the parallels already? You start to see the, 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 the relatability that Jesus already knew and, and felt and experienced even prior to his, his great passion. So in verse 13, it says, And when the Lord, the Lord saw her, I, I said this morning, the Bible said, this is my favorite part right here. He saw her. And guys, this is more than a physical sight. He saw her heart. He saw her pain. Guys, do you know that God sees you? This is what Hagar declared of, uh, like gave God his name. Like he said, the God, she said, you are the God who sees me. I want to tell you this morning, God sees you. He's with you in the pain. He is present. He's aware. Isn't it good to know that, that you know, that he's not absent but that he's here. Like this is what he declares to everyone along the way. I will be with you. Like it's not, he's not saying it's going to be easy. In fact, I think he says it to the contrast, but he says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to be with you. Can I say this? I, I mean, I remember showing up at the Simpsons home that Wednesday night and I felt so helpless to love this precious family in this dark hour. I mean, it had been moments. And the Lord reminded me this, that the greatest thing he does for us is that he's with us. That, you know, maybe it's not about what we say, what we don't say. Maybe it's just being there. Maybe that's the gift that God has given us is that he's come to be with us in our pain, through our brokenness. He's the healer, but he's with us through the journey. And that's comforting. The Lord saw her. He had compassion on her. Do you know what the word compassion means? It doesn't just mean to feel your pain, but to own it. Like to make it, to share, to share your pain. 
And it's not just, it has its origin in, in the emotional, but it, but it then fleshes itself out in the practical. Have you ever been there where a friend has lost a loved one and you just don't know what to do? What does compassion look like in that moment? And you know who's the greatest ones to, that, that are most prepared to, to minister to grief? It's the ones who's gone through it. It's the ones who's experienced the comfort of God. Mike, I want to say that, holding back the tears, you've been such a glorious witness through this time. You've been such a testimony of your faith. Um, you, you, um, you parted with your best friend, your dad, your mentor, your your roommate for many years, and and you you did that in a manner that was um, th- that was uh, that was just a testimony to what you truly believe about God's promises. As was true of many of you as you walked through this painful season. But he saw her and had compassion on her. Guys, I mean, just put yourself in one of those crowds. Like this, like Jesus like shuts down, like this was God's agenda. I mean, you, you think he's come to be the savior of the world. And this is his agenda right now. This is, this is his prime, this is his focus. He gives himself to this, to this woman, to this pain, to this circumstance. And his heart goes fully, compassionately into this moment and he speaks into her pain. But what he says is obscure. Uh, if, you, if you ever talk with a grief counselor or someone that is in grief ministry, they will tell you that the last thing you say to someone is, don't cry. Don't cry. And yet that's the very words that Jesus speaks. He says, do not weep. Guys, you're going to love this. Only God can say that. Let me tell you why. Because he's the one that can do something about it. He's, the reason that he can say, do not weep, is because did Jesus know what he was why he was there and who he was. And if this mother could know who he was, like I, I, I don't know that we know who he is yet, right? Until he pulls back that veil, like really, really know who this Jesus is and how much he loves us and what he really has done for us. But if she knew what he was, who he was, who he is and what, he was, what his intentions were, and where his heart was, there would be no need for tears. Does that make sense? And guys, here's the big deal. Do you know who he is? Do you know him? And you know what we've been given in the scriptures? We've been given his intentions. We don't have to guess at the fact that he's coming back. He's going to take us to a further state of life. Right? He's already purchased life for us. But it's, we're going to be clothed in a further, in a further uh, covering of life. This is promised to us that we're going to be given glorified bodies. We're going to meet him in the air. We're going to experience his presence like never before. We're going to know him as, he's fully, as we're fully known. These, these are precious promises. And if we know him and we know his intentions, can you imagine 
Put yourself in the mother in the widow's shoes. It changes the moment. It changes our hearts. It changes our perspective. It changes our emotions. And Jesus says, do not weep. Guys, those, that, that is a statement of love and compassion, but of promise and of, of, of power. This is resurrection himself. That's what he said. He says, I am, right? And he's saying, don't cry. I'm here. And this is the same thing that we see with, with the boys in the boat, right? He looks at them and he goes, why are you afraid? I mean, I know what this circumstance is and I know its potential. I made it, right? But I'm here. Guys, um, can I tell you this morning, this is the best news you're going to hear all day, maybe your whole life. He's with you. God is with us. Because of the cross, because the veil's been ripped from heaven to earth, we now have an abiding relation, a treasured abiding relationship with the living God through the person of Jesus Christ. And because he lives, we live. And, and there's, it's, better, it, it's better to come. Outwardly, we're wasting away. Inwardly, we're being renewed day by day. Right? This is our hope. This woman was already a widow. And here, her only son was dead. Her, her last means of support. The crowd was mourners uh, from all over her town. And she would be left penniless and, and alone. I mean, think about like what Jesus is doing here. This widow was probably past the age of childbearing and, and, or getting married. Unless a relative would step up to her aid, her future was pretty bleak. We see all this, that there would be a, a begging mentality. And yet Jesus went to this woman and gently said, don't cry. See, this would be meaningless words unless, unless it was the Lord over death that was speaking them. Right? That he was going to change the circumstances. Jesus has the power to bring hope out of any tragedy. Do you believe that this morning? Right? Do you believe that this morning? Right? That this is our God. This is, this is the one that brings hope out of any tragedy. Works, works all things together for good. The next verse goes on in verse 14. It says, then he came up. This is one of my favorite pieces here. Then he came up. He, like, he initiates this move, right? Because he saw her and he was filled with compassion he moves to her. He comes up to the briar and he touches it. Now look, if you know Jewish culture, you know that any contact here makes him unclean. And that limits him from, and he's a rabbi. He's a teacher, right? This is, this, he, he becomes unclean in order to do what here? To speak and bring life Guys, do you see the picture of the gospel right here? This is exactly what Jesus did. He became sin who knew no sin that we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus became like he touched death 
then defeated it so that we might have life. But he was willing to take the hit. Can you imagine the, the, the Jewish, like the Jews would have been shocked. He touched the bride. Like he's, he's unclean. Like, but that's what Jesus did for us. He made him. He says, it says in Philippians 2, he says, have the same attitude of that of Christ Jesus. This was his attitude. Though he was considered God, he did not consider equality with God. Though he was God, he did not consider equality of God something to be held onto. But he made himself, he made, God made himself nothing. That's the contrast between who he is and what he did for us. Made himself nothing, taking the very form of a servant, right? Being made in human likeness. God took on skin, incarnation, like he's Emmanuel, right? And then it says, and then he became. God became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Why? No greater love. Why? Right? Because without him, we sang it this morning, he is the way. He's the truth. He's the life. We can't get there without him. And once we know him, we don't want to, right? Like it is, this is what we see in this moment. He says, and he came up and touched the briar. He made himself unclean. He took on the very nature of a servant. He made himself in human likeness. He became nothing that he would give us everything. And the the bears, as you can imagine, stood still and said, and this is what Jesus says. This is what The resurrection himself says, he says, young man, I say to you, arise. Have you guys ever heard the new song, Sing Arise, My Love? Have you ever heard that song? Oh my gosh. Like it just, I just crumble like in in, in just worship. Like, Like God, can you imagine this moment? Can you imagine being a spectator, whichever crowd you're a part of, and Jesus says the word. Fortunately, he gave specifics because everybody would have come out of the grave, right? Like he says, young man, arise. And it says he sits up and begins to talk. I can't imagine what came out of his mouth, right? Death left his body, now life. I mean, this is not, this is not eternal life yet, but, but it points to his deity, Right? It points to who, who has spoken a word here and how powerful that word is. Guys, do you know? We talked about this last week. The, the centurion said this, just say the word. And Jesus marveled at his faith. Guys, do you know that if he's made promises to you, you can, you can petition him to just say a word? What does the word of God do? It brings mountains into existence. It causes suns to form and, to, and, and a planet like ours to move around it at over 66,600 miles an hour. At the same time, spin at 1,000 miles an hour on a perfect axis. If one degree, one way or the other, we spin out of orbit. One mile closer, we, we burn up. One mile further, we freeze. Like this is the sustaining power, the perfection of God on display. And one of the things I love about God's creation, which by the way, we're told in Romans 1, that man is without excuse, that creation itself is evidence of God. Have you ever thought about this? How big is the moon to the, to the sun? 
You ever thought about this? It's over 400 times bigger, the sun is. But you know from our platform where God put his, his unique creation, where we stand that there's both lunar and solar eclipses, and from whether it's lunar or solar, it's the distance has to be perfect for that to work out, where it covers. Do you see what I'm saying? Like, he is not, he's a God of order. Like, he's, he's got, Jesus is here by design. Like, he's, he's come to Nain in order to, to, to demonstrate the compassion of God. Is God compassionate? And this, this woman, can you imagine how relieved, how, how in awe, like, and you know, a, a thought I had uh, just recently was like, can you imagine how their perspective of Jesus changed in this moment? Like, after he, like, what is he doing? What? He's touching the strip. Like, he's alive. What? Like, can you imagine that moment of awe and wonder and amazement? I mean, they literally, we, 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 have, we have evidence of what they said. God has come to visit, to help us. Right? We have a great prophet. Well, that's an understatement. Yet true. Wow. Young man, I say to you, arise. Do you know that he's spoken that on the re- at the resurrection? This is pre, obviously, his crucifixion and resurrection. Like, he has spoken that over the saints. That, that, is, that, that we, are, we are now in life because Christ died. He, this same experience we have experienced, right? Right? And, and in greater form in the resurrected body. And so do you think that this crowd was like, oh, that was cool. Thanks for showing up, Jay. Appreciate it. Glad you were here. You think that was their response? No, they, they were like, what manner of man is this? Like, wow. And my, my thought is, should that not be our posture towards Jesus? My question is, have we let Jesus out of our box? Is, is this your Jesus? Is this the one you pray to? Is this the one that mediates on your behalf before the Father? That loved you enough to die, knowing he would rise. Jesus again reached out to someone in need with compassion, risking becoming unclean. To touch even the briar would would have made him unclean. No one came to him. No one asked him for anything. But Jesus wanted to relieve this woman's suffering. You know this picture's too? is that before we asked him for help because we would have never done it. That would, that, that's how rebellious our posture was. None were righteous, not one. God initiated. Who first chose who? Who first loved who? While we were yet sinners, Christ. Let's remember, man, like in this moment here, it's amazing. No one asked Jesus to do anything. He did what he did because of who he is and the compassion in his heart. That's our God. He wants us to know him for who he is. Do you know that the parable of the, of the talents, that one talent guy that says, oh, I know you, you harvest where you do not plant, you know, like Je- Jesus lets that go on. And the truth is, that's not true of God. And that's the reason that he was in that, that predicament. I hope you follow me in that. What I'm saying is what we believe about him matters. 
because it's how we treat him. It's how we pray to him. It's how we demonstrate him. It's how we proclaim him. It's by who we believe him to be. And it changes everything. Our witness, the, the power of our testimony comes when we, when we trust him to do what he's promised to do. Amen? How do you react when you see a funeral procession? Sadness, grief, indifference. Maybe you're annoyed because now I'm going to sit here for a while. Anger because unresolved grief or guilt. Different people have different responses to this, this unwanted, unprecedented grief. This passage shows us that Jesus responds to such a situation and he models this for us, how we should show compassion to others. We are meant to be the hands and feet of Christ. Jesus reached out to this woman in empathy and compassion in her time of grief. When you are confronted with human suffering, grief, pain, need, you have a choice. You can walk away, you can hide in social or even religious excuses, or you can emulate Jesus and reach out in compassion to others in his name. And here's the thing. It's like you're going to feel so inadequate in it. But what we do is we walk it out in faith, trusting God for the power and, and just simply be the conduit of what God wants to do in a compassionate mode. Verse 15 says, and the dead man sat up. Can you imagine? Began to speak. And Jesus gave him to his mother. So this isn't the first time this has happened. Maybe some of you already know that. Uh, Elijah uh, raised a a widow's son to to life. And it's interesting. It happened just a few miles from this destination. That's interesting. And what's also interesting is this is just a few miles south of Nazareth where he did nothing because of their lack of faith. All they saw him as was Joseph's little carpentry boy. They didn't recognize that God had showed up. And here he's raising the dead. And Elijah did the same thing by laying on the child three times. Elisha, who asked for a double portion of Elijah's ministry and and message and power, um, he ended up raising a young, uh, a widow's son as well. And so they would have, that's their context for a great prophet and what they're saying in this passage. But they also gave the child back uh, to the mother. Much smaller child, we believe. So imagine the surprise of the crowd. Jesus' followers or, or mourners, the mother, those carrying the briar. Suddenly this man who had been dead sat up and began to talk. What he said is totally left to our imagination, but the important point is that Jesus gave him back to his mother. Jesus did, all, did the ultimate act of compassion. He did what no human being could ever have done. These words are almost identical to those that I mentioned in 1 Kings 17 with Elijah in verse 23 and 24. And then in verse 16 in our passage this morning, it says, fear seized them all. Fear of the Lord, reverence, awe, worship. And they glorified God saying a great prophet has arisen among us and God has visited his people. Unfortunately, what this doesn't mean is that they were going, you are God in the skin. They, they, that's not, but he was an instrument of that and they were praising God and that's all that Jesus wanted. 
That's, that's ideal from his perspective. So I, I want to make, as I'll finish the last verse here, it says, and this report uh, about him spread through the whole country or the whole of Judea. And that's not, that's talking about all the Jewish. That's not just referring to Jerusalem or the, the area of Judea, but all the surrounding countries and everything there. I want to, I want to, I want to share one passage as we wrap up because, you know, what's the application for us today? Should we expect that, you know, that God's going to raise the dead? Can he do that? Absolutely. Absolutely he can and does. In, in, our, in our context, I, I've had testimonies from missionaries, but, but there's a greater work that he has already done. And, uh, and, and Ephesians 2 is that reminder. So if you are turning in your Bibles, go with me to Ephesians 2. You'll be going towards the back of your Bible. Um, if you're looking for it, it's, uh, I always say, uh, Girls Eat Popcorn or GE Power Company. So Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. So we're in Ephesians. Um, and this is chapter 2, one of my favorite texts. And this, this reminds us that spiritually speaking, we were dead too in our trespasses and sins. And because of the cross and because of the love of God, because of the compassion of Christ, we are no longer dead. It's the but God moment. So follow with me. I'll pick up in verse one and go through verse 10. You were, past tense, dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Because we, we walk no longer in that path, that wide road that leads to destruction. Following the course of this world. We're no longer, it's in Romans 12 too, it says, do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you might test and approve God's good, perfect and pleasing will. We don't follow the course of this world. We don't follow. And that's a challenge for us on a daily basis, right? We're, we're being petitioned by media and other uh, things to just, to do what the world's doing. And we are, we, we actually, we're counterculture as people. We're, we're not of this world, but we're called to be in it. And so we live as, as these peculiar people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. We, we live unique as the Jewish nation was among its comrades or countries. And so we're, we're called, this is what we used to do. We used to be dead. We used to walk and follow the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, referring to Satan or the enemy. Um, the spirit, small s, the evil spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, those that are outside of Christ yet to be sealed by his spirit and saved, right? This, this should give us, a, we should all have a, a reference for this in our past. Paul refers to that often. Verse three, among whom, uh, now speaking to the church, this is where we live in this context, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of God's wrath. It's being revealed against the unrighteous, is what we're told in Romans 1. Like the rest of mankind. And then verse 4. This is, this is the good. But God... But God, everything shifts with God. Everything moves from death to life with God. But God being rich in mercy. Because, and let's remember, we were his, we declared him enemy. We, we're the one that was in rebellion. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love 
with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Now listen, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Because if we're in Christ, we are seated with him in the heavenly places. If we're, if our, it's, it, we're told in um, Colossians 3.1 that our lives are now hidden with Christ in God. Like that, that's, that's, our, that's, our po- that's our position, that's our posture, that's our understanding. So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable grace or the riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus, a further revelation of his grace and mercy. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one can boast about it. No man can boast about it. We boast in the cross. And then I'll, I'll leave this to come right back to you. Here, here's where we relate. We were dead. Who made us alive? Christ did. He spoke life over our lives. But God, demonstrating compassion and mercy, we are now alive in Christ. So guys, if you were to take in for just a moment how elated this, this widow would be, this should be a picture of our posture and how grateful and had all overwhelmed because he spoke into our, 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 our despair. He spoke into our brokenness. He spoke into our desperation. He spoke into our separation. And he brought us to life by the grace and mercy of God. This is what the cross accomplished. The empty tomb declares the chains are broken, the captives are free, and that's you and me. Amen. Hello! Like that's good news. That, and that's the news that, that speaks to our hearts when we grieve with the loss of a loved one. The resurrection brings hope. It brings a living hope because Christ is alive, seated at the right hand of the Father. And that hope is ours. But if we don't believe that, we don't experience that hope. If we don't believe that, our, our, the, the, the grief just continues to bear down on our souls instead of we are lifted. I, I want to share this story. Um, I'm going to leave verse 10 for another day. Uh, I was going to talk about our ex- expiration date, but we all know that's the case. But um, I, I came across this piece and I thought this is so good. And I want to share it with you. Uh, of how a widow work, walked through or worked through her grief. And, uh, and I thought this was ideal. I'll give you the context for it uh, after I share this piece uh, on our passage. And when you are facing a, tr- a tragedy, when a calamity strikes in your life, it is much more comforting to know that Jesus is God than just a prophet. Only, only God, only as God can he say to you, don't cry. I am here with you. I love you. Let me help. Trust me. The disciples, having witnessed all of this, would remember in the years to come, like this widow, they would lose their only hope, their only source of provision. They would lose Jesus. He, the only begotten Son of God, would die on the cross. He would touch death and so defile himself. He would take upon our sin upon himself and taste death for every man. And just as Jesus told this widow, do not weep, trust me. Let me give you your son back 
so also the disciples would receive their Savior back. Through, though he was dead, he would rise, not just having tasted death, but having conquered death for all time for everyone who believes in him. Do not cry. Jesus is there for you, for me. Jesus has defeated death, sin, sickness, and has given and gives us back to and, and, and gives life back to you. When tragedy strikes, not if, but when, he sends another comforter to encourage you in your suffering. And then the, uh, the author shares this story. Um, his, him and his brother and his mom were in a car and an, and a, and an 18-wheeler um, got out of its lane and hit them head on. Um, he says, my father died in the hospital, leaving my mother alone with two boys to take care of. She experienced great grief. But she told me that two things ha- happened which began to turn her grief into joy, her ashes into beauty, and her sorrow into laughter. The first is that she chose by an act of her will, not her emotions, to thank God. Though she felt great grief, even anger, she accepted the fact that God is sovereign and he knows what he is doing as the worship team comes. The second thing she did and I love this, was reach out to bless others. She recognized that God blesses those uh, who bless others. She got involved in Bible studies, in evangelism, sharing her faith. She got involved in the lives of other people, especially those who were grieving. She said that during her time of grief and despair, someone, this is beautiful, sent her a handwritten card. Not a card from Hallmark, a simple handwritten card. The outside of the card said this, I know I can't say the right words or do the right thing in this time of tragedy. Then inside the card finished the statement. It read, so I'm asking God to. Are you afflicted? Are you hurting? Are you grieving? Are you suffering deep sorrow? Please know that Jesus hurts with you. No human being can say the right words or do the right thing in what you're facing. But Jesus can. Only Jesus can say to you, do not weep. Do not let your hearts be troubled. I give you comfort. Only he can rise you up from the ashes of grief and bring joy to your troubled heart. Thank you for listening to this message from Faith Fellowship St. Pete in St. Petersburg, Florida. More information about Faith Fellowship can be found at faithfellowshipstpete.org.